Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus, um, chapter 11, 1 through 3, 12, 1 through 13, and then 21 to 30. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is, for, is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from sheep, from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and door tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down the firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of your door, none of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt. 
for there was not a house without someone dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we will continue our study of Exodus, going through, uh, looking at God's word, and today we land on the Passover. And uh, before we continue to dive in, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are a people who are here, present before you. God, it's like the Spirit is hovering over the waters, as in the beginning. And so your Spirit is hovering over each soul here today. And God, we need a word from you. We need a word, God, that stands the time of the test of time. We need a word, Father, that will go down deep in our heart and change us, Father, to be more like you, to believe in you, to be trusting of you, our Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When uh, I was a young man, not that too long ago, uh, nine years in fact, we brought home a little baby boy. We went through a time of five years waiting and wondering whether or not God would answer the prayer for us to have a little baby. And through that time, there was moments of disappointment, moments of giving up hope, moments of asking God, what are you doing here? We were crying out. And then it happened. We got pregnant. And we, I still remember the day when we were sitting in Target uh, in St. Louis. And I don't know why we were at Target, but we were just there sitting, having lunch, and uh, Crystal's water broke. And we were so giddy. We were like, oh, is it happening? What, how do you feel? And begin to ask all these questions. And uh, we, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> you know, as first time parents that are pregnant, and we wondered, should we go straight to the hospital? Because our bags were packed. We were ready. We had the bag in the car just in case. Uh, do we go back home or do we go straight to the hospital? What did the doctor say? We didn't remember what the doctor said. Well, I, at least I didn't. And so we went to the hospital and uh, we got there and got checked in and everything. And after a long couple of days of laboring, oh my goodness, long couple of days, I tell you, I feel like an eternity, out came this baby boy. This baby boy who was ruddy and expressive and, and just full of life. Mom was kind of drugged up and didn't know what was going on, and it was uh, kind of hilarious. One of the nurses just put the baby on Crystal, and uh, she was like, will you get this baby? I don't know what I'm doing here. I might drop him. And so we had to rescue the baby. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, it was a wonderful time where it felt like time just uh, stopped, and you're trying to soak up every moment of having this uh, answer to prayer, this gift of life. And, and then, you know, after some days of being in the hospital, Crystal parents help us bring this baby home. And we bring this baby home into this small two-bedroom apartment, and uh, it was home for us. And then I began, as a parent, asked the question, God, what, what do I do now? 
What do I do with this child? What do we do? What are we doing here? How do we figure this out? How do I remain faithful as a father to this little one? I was in love. It was uh, a joyous time of having this gift of life. Hearing the squeals, I loved it, every moment of it, until about a couple of months after that, it wore off. And I, I began to squeal just as loud as the baby. It's like, oh my goodness, I need sleep. I need some sleep, somebody help me. Somebody help me. But God was faithful. He gave us the strength to endure. And some of you know what I'm talking about in here, right? Some of you have just gone through that within this past couple of years. And, and that's how we were, just trying to figure it out. But we did it in community. Our church was really uh, helpful, uh, and other friends were helpful. We had many people to call on to help us to raise this little one um, in light of God's word. And that's what we tried to do as the days progress. Failing in some places, getting up in others, just like when he began to walk, falling down, but getting up, and before I know it, he was running. But God remained faithful. And so we see God's firstborn son, as is declared in the text, Israel, God's son had started out just as one man, Abram, and then God began to uh, give Abram this gift through Isaac, and then began to grow the family of Abram and the offspring of Abram, and you find these 70 people down in Egypt under Joseph's rule, and then they began to grow. As people have said before, Egypt became an incubator for the people of God as they began to grow and grow and grow. God remained faithful to his covenant promises. God remained faithful to deliver what he said he would deliver, a nation, a people, and that's what we find here in this text. God's deliverance, God's faithfulness, God's judgment on, on uh, the enemies of God. And so we see how God announces the victorious deliverance of his people beforehand. It was already prophesied that, that God would bring them out and that Pharaoh even would kick them out with a strong hand. God declared that he would do wonders before the Egyptians and the Israelites. Even as he had done so, we find that Pharaoh's heart continued to harden. He would not let the people go. So this 10th plague here comes as a death blow and God's word proves to be right. Fulfilling this covenant that he gives to Abraham. God has been leading his people by way of Moses and Aaron. And so we come to this point where we've seen all these plagues happen. Uh, some of these plagues influenced the people of God themselves, but then God began to separate his people and not allow the plagues to come over them. 
And then this tension is, is mounting because God had declared that what would happen would come to be true that he will deliver his people and that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened and that he will not let the people go, then eventually he will let them go. And God even declared that he will kill Pharaoh's firstborn for holding hostage his firstborn. So the tension is mounting. So how will God solve this great tension of the deliverance of his people and also this judgment towards the one whose heart is hardened towards the Lord? God does it through the Passover. This historical moment, the Passover is God's plan of salvation for his people. Is a plan where God's people had opportunity to exercise their faith in God. It's a plan where they had opportunity to exercise the obedience to do what God tells them to do. And also it was an opportunity for them to have this glad surrender as we see. It must have been difficult for them to do so. This was a first time for them to do this Passover thing uh, ever in their lives and not knowing what will come of it. It's also part of how God brought them to worship, bringing their hearts down before him. As God has said in the text that it's the Lord's Passover. This is God's doing. This is something that he is giving to his people. This is by his sovereign will and his sovereign will alone. And so we see here that this Passover began to uh, march this, this new period of Israel's history. The Passover establishes a new beginning for the Israelites. And we see that in verses 1 and 2, where God said to Moses and Aaron, so he speaks to them what they are to do and what they are to share with the other elders. He said, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year, this new beginning. God is changing the calendar on them. Because we remember they have been in the land, not their own, been in a place where they were subject for 430 years subject to another ruler, another custom, other customs, other lifestyles, other ways of being as a covenant people of God. We see here that the Passover, it does take some preparation. We think of feasts that we have in our lives, right? Different types of feasts, we just celebrated one, Christmas, um, coming around families. Thanksgiving is another one. It's like a memorial of coming together and celebrating goodness. Thanksgiving, celebrating, being thankful, grateful uh, to the Lord. That's how I think of it. Christmas, celebrating God sending his son into the world. These meals, these feasting times take preparation. So God teaches them that it's no different for the Passover. As he in, instructs the congregation of Israel, certain time of the month and what they should do for each household. 
choose a lamb. Choose a lamb for each household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then go find your near neighbor and have the Passover feast with them. And so it's supposed to be just right, just enough lamb for just enough people to consume the entire lamb. The Passover lamb is a perfect lamb. It's a lamb that is meant to be without blemish. It's meant to be a year old, which is an, an adult uh, lamb. It's meant to be taken either from a sheep or a goat. But it must be a lamb that is perfect and spotless. Would any lamb do? Well, in terms of eating a meal, if the lamb has an ear that's cut off, the meat probably wouldn't taste any different, right? But God has separated his people. He's calling them out as holy. He's saying, I, as the lamb goes, so shall you. This perfection that I'm building, I'm setting you apart to be holy unto me. So these are my instructions to you. The Passover is participation for all. We see here in verse 6 that it's communal. On this 14th day of the month, the entire assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, in the middle of the night. It's to be communal. The whole assembly were part of it. No one is to be left out. They're to be consecrated together, setting apart themselves in their faith, believing in the Passover lamb, believing the blood of the lamb as a sign of their faith when they put it on their doorposts and the lintel of their houses, putting it around their houses by faith unto God. A sign, it says here in verse 13, it's a sign for you, a sign for the people. Of course, as God would come through as the destroyer that night, God doesn't need a sign. But they did as a way of exercising their faith. They needed to see where their hearts were before the Lord. They needed to see their own faith as a community exercise together as they put their trust in God together. And then God says, when I see that blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is God's salvation for his people in this passage as he gives them instruction on setting themselves apart by faith. As he gives them instructions to consume it completely. This is God's grace. Get enough people, consume the entire lamb. You don't have time to boil it into water. That just takes too much. You don't, you don't have time to cook it any other way but by roasting it. Because God is about to do something quickly. And so consume it completely. And if you don't consume it, don't even think that you need to save some to the next morning. I have given you enough. I have given you enough of my grace and I will provide for you. There to consume it, take it in. 
Imagine being in the house. The lamb is being roasted with these bitter herbs. You know, they're mixing up the, uh, the batter uh, for the unleavened bread. You know, there are smells popping off. You know, maybe the, it, it sort of like increased the hunger pains or something, you know. But there, that was, this was an entire experience. The entire house embodied this experience and the people together, they were to taste and see that this is God's good grace towards them. They were to experience with their hands, with all of their senses, what God is doing as they shut themselves in to experience God's Passover lamb as a community. Every house was doing this. So they are to be ready, ready to leave at any moment, uh, ready to get going when God says, let's go. He gave them the manner that they should eat it. Just be, be fully dressed, having your staff in your hand, put the, having your sandals on your feet, eating in haste. This is God's Passover lamb for you. What else do we learn here in this passage about it? It is to be a perpetual memorial. God says, will you observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever? This is something that will take place when they come into the land, something that they do forever, pointing to God's great salvation for them. God's promise to them, they should keep this service. And they are, to, and, and it's meant to be passed on from generation to generation. They were to instruct their children, to teach their children about God's great deliverance. What do you mean by this service, Papa? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. This is what God did. He saved you. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. This is the covenant-keeping Lord who had promised to make us a people, and he is doing it. He has given us the Passover lamb that we may exercise our faith in him and experience his mercy, knowing that he's the only means of salvation for us, this substitutionary lamb and our faith in him. This is God's way for his people, and it's meant to go on from generation to generation. The Passover is for the perseverance of worship and obedience unto the Lord. Because when the people heard what they were to do, they humbled themselves. They humbled themselves, they worshiped, they obeyed, they went and did what God wanted them to do. All that Moses and Aaron had commanded them to do, they did it. What about our lives? What about our faithfulness in God? What about the Lordship of Christ in our lives? Are we hard at hearing at times? Are we make it difficult for us to obey him at times? It is not easy. Sometimes we become tripped up in things that we know we aren't supposed to be doing. We begin to justify what we do. 
We feel entitled. But God is saying, no, I need your full obedience. I need your complete devotion. I need you to know that I am fully capable of caring for you. I am for you, not against you. I will bring a deliverance for you out of your troubles, whatever they may be, big or small. I am the Lord. I have not forgotten you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will be with you. I am the Lord. And we see here that as God sweeps through Egypt that night, that this is personal. This is personal. God personally comes throughout the land. He personally comes, make provisions for his people. This is his firstborn child. And God, he, he has in mind as well their possession, their animals, their livelihood. God saves them too. This is the type of God he is. He does not forget about his people one bit. But he remembers our plight, our weaknesses. He remembers that we do need strength, that we do need a sign, that we do need to see our faithfulness being exercised in the faithful one. God's people had to be convinced of God's judgment and his sovereign will just as much as Pharaoh did. So God is bringing his people as he does with us into humility before him so that they will remain faithful in their obedience. Even Moses is learning how to pray to God. <laughs> as we think back on the story, uh, he had to deal with Pharaoh, going before Pharaoh those times, and, and then Pharaoh said, okay, plead before God, then let, let him send away the frog, let him send, send away the plagues, and he goes before God, pleading, pleading. Moses, by the end, becomes angry with Pharaoh. Moses has had enough of his hard-heartedness. But God is changing him too, right? God is bringing Moses into a deeper humility and trust in God for what he would do. God is teaching him how to pray. Our circumstances are like that. They're so difficult that we can't do anything but fall on our knees after a while. Sometimes, you know, some of you have been sick lately and you know what that feels like. And the only thing you could do is just, Lord, help me utter those words. Some of you have had challenges in your family and trying to get along with those that you love, wishing that they were changed and they, they still seem uh, to, to be in opposition towards you. What can you do but pray? Pray unto God. Plead that God would change the circumstance. That's what we can do. Prayer is something. Pleading with God is something. Coming before him, making our requests known is something. 
This is the faithful God. We see, also see in the Passover that the Passover is not just salvation for God's people, Israelites, but the Passover is God's plan for judgment on his enemies. Pharaoh disobeyed God. We learn from Exodus 5. After Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Then this is what Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. He did not obey the voice of God. He did not know God. That's one of the main reasons. But still, we know that his heart was going to be hardened because God said it would be. But that's the case for anybody who disobey God. Even us as people of God, if we disobey our Heavenly Father, what do we expect except to face the consequences of being stubborn before him? But thank God that we do have the affection of his love and he helps us, he helps us to turn because he has given us that heart of flesh by his spirit. He helps us to turn away from our sin and turn all over again to obeying him. This is not something that is meant to be by just my strength. I'm just going to straighten out my behavior. Sometimes I think that if only I can get, you know, do the right thing, I would be okay. So I know there's a, that's a deeper love that needs to compel our hearts. And, it, and it's the love of the God who is serious about sin. So serious that he gave his son for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins and in relationship with him and live before him in obedience. The Israelites are learning a lesson through Pharaoh's disobedience that as he, he, put his heel, he puts his heels in the sand and does not relent, that he faces the judgment of God over and over again. And also, the ultimate blow comes when God kills his firstborn son. God says in verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. God had already told this to Moses at the burning bush that he would strike down the firstborn of Pharaoh. God carried out his judgments upon the Egyptian in a personal way. He came by night and he wiped them out. There was a great cry in the land as people may have gone in to check on their loved ones to see if they're okay because hey this God has done some amazing signs so this may be true let me go in and check on them and find out that they have been destroyed I mean think about it the Israel too everybody's on edge 
God had declared that this night he would come and strike down the firstborn of the Egyptians. He comes through the land. I don't know if there was a sound or maybe there was complete quietness. Uh, it was something. It was in the consciousness of the people. Somebody must have gotten up that night or tried to stay awake. But it was like a domino effect. The cries began to multiply as the firstborn of Egypt began to fall. Going in, checking on your firstborn, and they do not move. Going out to the fields and checking for the firstborn of the animals, and they are slain as well. As one theologian put it, the sequence of the plagues illustrate the awesome biblical truth that the final issue for recalcitrant humanity is to come face to face with God. Divine patience and forbearance wait while every avenue of moral probation is offered. It's tried, it's exhausted. But then comes the point which what Jesus said in the parable, last of all, he sent his son. The word of God cannot be refused endlessly. There always has to be an end. A meeting with God whom our refusals have offended to the point of finality. That was a great cry in the land because Pharaoh had met his match. He didn't realize that this was his maker too. After all the poison of idolatry and pouring his life into the gods of Egypt, he, he didn't realize that as humanity, we're under one maker of heaven and earth. And he is the Lord, the great I am. He is the one who executes judgments on his enemies for those who turn their way backs on him. He is the one who comes and says, put your trust in me before it's too late. Because yes, God is patient and wanting all men to be saved. But there comes an expiration date for us all. And so Pharaoh had to face the consequences of his disobedience, his stubborn pride, his stiff-neckedness. And he faced the death of his firstborn child. This was the deciding blow of God. And then Pharaoh sent the people away. All the other people sent them away, sent them with gifts, take everything, just go, get out of here before all of us die. They understood something of the judgment of God. And so we see here in this lesson of the Lord's Passover that the, the, the offering of the lamb wasn't enough for God's people. We, we, we see here that there had to come one who can offer this ultimate redemption for the people of God. We see here that the, as one scholar put it, the ultimate purpose of the Old Testament Passover 
Instruction is to point forward to the Messiah, to Christ himself, to the purpose of his death, the memor to memorialize in the ritual of the Lord's Supper that now replaces the Passover, and also to the unity of those accepted by him as a people, his body. So God, so many years ago, was pointing his people to the true Passover lamb, who is Jesus. He's pointing his people forward by faith to place their hope in the Messiah, the Savior, the one that died on the cross for them. Jesus is the one who fully obeyed God. He is the spotless lamb of God. He is the one that comes to take away, as John said, the sins of the world. Only God can provide one as, as such. Jesus is the true and an eternal Passover lamb for his people. And he's the firstborn of God, of many brothers. This redeemer, this one, was serious about living before God in such a way as to make an example for us on how we should live. This one died on the cross out of obedience to his Father, and this is his great love for us. Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus died to save the people of God for the great forgiveness of their sins. Jesus also died for creation, to renew creation. So the beasts and the plants and the shrubs and the mountains, they matter to him as well. The blood of the Lamb, the eternal Son of God, is making all things new. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So how then shall we live? We see that all the promises of God Find their yes and amen in Jesus. How do we live? How do we continue to live in light of God's great deliverance, his salvation through the blood of his son, Jesus? How do we exercise our faith before him and live before him? Well, we have to turn away from whatever we're holding dear in our hearts that's trying to take the place of Jesus, that's trying to encroach upon him. It could simply be an addiction to self. It could simply be an addiction to feeling good. I want to relax, God, I'm so worked up. It could simply be turning away from addiction to self-preservation. Whatever it is, the Lord says, turn away from it. Let it go. Give it to me. Jesus died for it already. Let it go and turn to Jesus for life, admitting that your life belongs to him and not yourself, admitting that you need a savior, one to intercede for you, one to plead for you, one that can give you his strength. And trust, trust in Jesus. Place your faith in his death for you. 
Believe he is the redeemer, the one that has paid the price on the cross for your sin. And walk in the newness of life in him with the people of God. So we see here we are, the text is pointing us to the Savior, the one who walks with us daily, the one who has given us his spirit that empowers us to live before him. He doesn't leave us guessing in terms of what we should do, but he comes and changes our hearts. And so as I began to parent with Crystal, this little one, I began to recognize there was a deficit in my soul. When my son turned three years old, I did, I literally, I'm like, Lord, I do not have a roadmap. I did not know what to do because when I was three years old is when my mom put me in that little car and we drove away from my grandparents' house, the community I was in. And we went to live in this one bedroom apartment. It was so isolating. So when my son turned three, my soul was like, there's something missing here. And so I began to trust God for a new roadmap, day by day, walking as best I could to learn how to care for this little one, to build a relationship with him, to give my time and effort towards him, to, to, to learn how to continue to adore him, because t kids talk back, right? You know, they can be stubborn at times and, and uh, they can have their own wills, but how would I love him to Jesus? How will I put my life on the line so that I, I, I can care and love him in such a way that he would know the tender mercy of God? How, how could I repair and repent and bring repair in his life so that he could see that we do have a God that offers redemption for men? And so God helped me as he's helping us. We are a community of people together living on the blood of the lamb. And so as we encourage each other by living by faith, one household at a time, living on the blood of the lamb, as we do that, our faith increases. Our faith increases to trust Jesus more and more and more as we share our testimonies to one another about what he is doing in our life groups or in, in our backyards, around the fire, as we show up in each other's lives, as we show up on Sunday mornings, we are building our faith in Jesus together. We are learning how to turn away from our own uh, self-indulgences, to turn to him and surrender all to him, knowing that this is the mercy of the faithful covenant God to his new covenant people. So God is doing a work in us, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Lord, there is more that you're going to speak into our lives, and we are grateful for that. Speak it, O oh Lord. Remind us even of things that we haven't done that we need to do. You're the faithful Lord. And so, God, we need you. We need you, and we thank you, God, for giving us your son. Amen. Amen.